Welcome to The Bone Beat, conversations on health policy issues affecting musculoskeletal care and supporting advocacy efforts to advance access and quality. Brought to you by the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. Here's your host, Kristen Coltis. Hi, I'm Kristen and welcome to The Bone Beat. If you are new to the show, we're glad you're here. And if you're returning, welcome back. This is only our second monthly episode of the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, and today we're bringing you another conversation we had earlier this year on the general topic of advocacy. In this episode, we're going to introduce you to the Office of Government Relations, or OGR, and explain how it works directly with the Council on Advocacy on behalf of our orthopedic surgeon members. Specifically, we'll be talking about legislative and regulatory efforts, which are only two parts of our three-pronged strategy for shaping healthcare. We'll cover the third, which is political, and explore our orthopedic pack in a future episode. But for now, we hope this provides even greater insight into how your advocacy team works, and we look forward to diving into some of the specific policy issues we're tackling in the weeks and months ahead. So I have with me two very important guests to the topic. I have uh, Dr. Wilford Gibson. He is the chair of the Council on Advocacy and the director of the Office of Government Relations, Graham Newson. Thank you both for joining me. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you, Kristen. So let's start with what are we doing here in Washington? Uh, You know, our advocacy is obviously something that is a big piece of the Academy's strategic plan. It's an enabler of uh, of our mission. And our members hear the term advocacy all the time, but they may not recognize that we have an office out here and an entire team of, of advocates for our members. Graham, Walk us through what we're doing here in Washington and, and why our members uh, should care. Sure thing, Kristen, and, and thank you for the opportunity. Um, advocacy is critically important, especially in the field of healthcare, care, uh, because given all the changes that are going on, uh, it's so critical that uh, surgeons have a voice in what's happening uh, in the healthcare field, and that's what advocacy does. And in fact, uh, that's what the Office of Government Relations does for our membership. Uh, we try to be and aim to be the voice of orthopedics, uh, working with our membership, making sure that um, the advocacy mission of the academy is advanced on Capitol Hill and within the agencies. And I'm proud to say we have a great team in Washington uh, working on that day and night and we have incredible members, Dr. Gibson being one of them, uh, who help us in, in tremendous ways to advance the agenda. And the Council on Advocacy is an important piece of what we do, right? Absolutely. The Council really oversees the work of the Office of Government Relations, and we look to the Council to provide us guidance on key issues and to talk strategy and how to, again, uh, work Capitol Hill or the agencies. Dr. Gibson, I might uh, start out by just asking you, as chair of the Council on Advocacy, how do you see uh, the association's role in advocacy and how the council uh, helps with that effort? Well, as many know, I'm a practicing orthopedic surgeon, and I think that's what we keep in mind. We've got a tremendous volunteer base of people that are willing from our 39,000 or so members of the AAOS to participate and volunteer their time. And I think all that volunteer, I also think those that contribute to our PAC um, and we would like to get that number up as high as we can. We, our Council on Advocacy's role 
We're one of the councils uh, of the AOS. There's Council on Education, Council on Research and Quality, and then there's the uh, Communications Cabinet. Uh, but the Council on Advocacy is really our uh, works with our Office of Government Relations to um, really a three-prong uh, perspective. It's legislative, regulatory, and political. And so we uh, uh, really... Uh, implement and our and create our advocacy agenda uh, each year, and it's uh, our membership um, that uh, that actually has input into it. And we prioritize things that are important. And as is a cliche, but frequently, uh, if you're not on if you're not on the table, you're on the menu. Right. And so uh, it's a little bit of a cliche, but it's really true. I think most of us North Peak Surgery are doing pretty well. But we also know that uh, we're probably not as engaged as we ha uh, should be, particularly in the past, and now we are. And I think uh, uh, basically to answer your question, uh, we, we uh, as a council on advocacy, implement the uh, unified advocacy agenda. We work through those three arms of legislation um, and the regulators uh, with CMS and CMMI, and then uh, political as far as trying to identify leaders that uh, and elected leaders or, or members that are uh, looking to be elected try to get those that are uh, those that are understanding of our needs as physicians and surgeons uh, elected dr dr gibson um, many times when i'm talking to uh, members around the country they say well will my Will my participation really make a difference? Right. Um, the the issues seem so huge and so uh, beyond, uh, you know, what what maybe they see in their own practice. They wonder if they can really make a difference. What's your take on that? Well, uh, I I do believe and have seen uh, that having an interest in being involved does work. Um, Things move slowly on uh, Capitol Hill. Uh, it does take sometimes years. Uh, things that we're not familiar with as surgeons, where we like to see the results of our work uh, from moment to moment or hour to hour or day to day, uh, we like to see the results. And I don't think we we'll actually will see that um, if we if we um, I don't think we'll actually see that if, if we work on Capitol Hill. Uh, day to day, minute to minute, hour to hour, but it does take year to year uh, to see results. And uh, I, um, I, I think that's uh, probably the the biggest difference. People don't see the results right away, and so they get uh, uh, disappointed. But we do see things like our Sports Clarity Act, uh, Sports Medicine Clarity Act, where it took several years to achieve. It was from uh, members of our academy uh, meeting with uh, senators, um, Health, Education, Labor, and uh, Pensions Committee, John McGraw met uh, and actually pushed that uh, ball forward, got it done uh, where it was sitting there going nowhere. So there are times when things move rapidly, but there are generally times when things move slowly. But if you're not there getting involved, others are looking at you as a target. And I think also on the regulatory side, we've seen that by getting involved with uh, the bundle payment um, care improvement program right. bpci uh, we we had the big problem with a limit on the 50 percent professional fee cap i know a number of us were very much engaged in that with some of the other uh, other stakeholders but uh, just constantly pushing on that we were able to get that changed that's a big uh, thing for 
private practice orthopedic surgeons that are are working with physician-led bundles um, to have success uh, financially for their practices and to cover the cost of uh, the care redesign. Uh, there have been other things on the regulatory side uh, as well uh, with uh, orthotics. Uh, uh, many of us, it's an integral part of our practice to be able to uh, take patients, place them in fracture boots, put them in wrist splints, put them in devices that they need as part of their treatment and rehabilitation. If they had to go to a, another facility or if you had to have an orthodist on site to be able to do that, it would uh, uh, basically uh, interfere with the practice of orthopedics to a point and it would ha harm our patients at the bottom line. Yeah. And so we were able to uh, just have a conversation with uh, Health and Human Services to get that changed uh, where it was already in process that they were going to require us to have a uh, to have an orthodist on site. So uh, on your in your practice to be able to do that, and that would that would have really just made it impossible for most practices to uh, accomplish that. So th th these are just I guess three things that. I, pop up at the top of my head. Hmm. So Dr. Gibson, you're um, talking about some advocacy wins, as we call them. And uh, you also mentioned the three prong uh, strategy for effectively shaping healthcare policy to um, serve our patients and our physician members. I want to talk a little bit about what that relationship, working relationship looks like. You said before that the Council on Advocacy serves the academy by helping to set the unified advocacy agenda. And Graham talked about how the Office of Government Relations is out in Washington working on behalf of our members. How do members, the council, and the Office of Government Relations all work together towards this effort? Well, uh, I think first our staff are great, and Graham can speak to them uh, and the, the similar three-prong uh, approach. Uh, for our Office of Government Relations staff. Those members are always out there engaged. Their, their fingers are on the pulse of what's happening with CMS, CMMI on Capitol Hill, and also out there politically across the nation, what's going on. Um, and so I, our staff are tremendous. But they're not physicians, and they're right. not orthopedic surgeons for the most part. We have Dr. Schaefer, our medical director, who's an, obviously an orthopedic surgeon. Um, but as far as being practicing orthopedic surgeons out in the trenches, uh, our, our council's uh, membership is made up of a diverse group of uh, orthopedic surgeons who um, practice. And so we, we see things also day to day uh, and week to week. So we get engaged in that. And I think that's probably the big benefit is working together. Um, our staff is able to guide us and put us in the right places and have the right conversations at the right time with the right people. Uh, and uh, when our political leaders are looking for advice, they, they really do listen to practicing physicians when you give them um, stories or give them the evidence of why you need to do things the way we do them and why we need to have um, help uh, sometimes uh, to maintain the primarily our to take care of our patients, but also to preserve, preserve our profession. You said it well, Dr. Gibson. I couldn't agree more. Our members are truly our greatest resource. And uh, working closely with them, with uh, the council and other committees, 
I know my team here in Washington benefits tremendously because we have the information we need to be the resource that we want to be for those policymakers up on Capitol Hill and within the agencies. And just so folks are aware, we every day we have lobbyists up on Capitol Hill looking out for orthopedic interests, and uh, we also comment on rules that are coming out of the agencies uh, that affect practices and other parts of the healthcare system. We have people that comment on those rules. Dr. Gibson's involved with all of it. And many times we invite our members uh, to come to, to Washington to help us deliver the message, and they're incredibly effective. Not everybody in this country uh, likes politics or likes uh, what's going on in Washington, but our membership recognizes that the decisions that are made in Washington will make a difference not only to their practice, but their patients. And because of that, uh, they dedicate their time over and above what they do anyhow in a given day uh, to help us with our advocacy efforts, and that's invaluable. And it truly makes us uh, an effective uh, team. And I'll add to that, uh, you know, I, I know that the Office of Government Relations and our advocacy team are out here in Washington with the sole goal of effectively create, effectively changing healthcare policy to serve both our members and their patients. And through groups like the Council on Advocacy and our physician members, we're able to collect those insights and their feedback, understand what problems they're facing in their own practices, and then take that to the Hill. But for those of our members who maybe aren't involved in advocacy and aren't serving in a leadership position with the AOS, Dr. Gibson, this question's for you. How can we rest them assured that that the uh, AOS is is taking their issues into consideration and doing the best to work on their behalf? Well, I think first and foremost, our, our representative bodies are, are made up of the orthopedic surgeons across the nation and various specialties and various geographic locations, for instance. Um, so we already have uh, those grassroots uh, effort uh, ideas coming up from the bottom. Uh, we also, you know, being in D.C., uh, we, we are hearing what's going on. And so we're able to bring that information back um, in a variety of ways, like with this podcast, but also with our advocacy newsletter uh, and, uh, that, and also AS, AOS Now, other communication vehicles. We're able to get it back to our membership. I think a lot of time our members, including myself, we have our head buried down, doing the work. We're in the trenches trying to just take care of patients right. and uh, all of a sudden something changes and you say, what happened here? Who was, who was who driving the ship? And, you know, I can only tell you that uh, we are engaged and we are involved. And uh, if we're not, uh, we will have things happen to us. Even when we're engaged, there's things that move rapidly on Capitol Hill. There are issues of surprise billing that we fought all year. We fought uh, to not have, benchmarking, which would have really almost been the death of private practice if that would have been allowed and the insurance companies would have been increasingly profitable. It would have driven down reimbursements for uh, physicians uh, and probably hospitals. Uh, for, and uh, it would have been a, a disaster. We, we pushed for uh, independent dispute resolution, baseball style uh, resolution where there's a winner and a loser. And basically, if anyone's trying to game the system, they're going to lose. And so eventually, like we have in New York, it pushes the, uh, the doctors and the insurance companies towards the middle so that the, hosp the insurance companies don't realize that 
or do realize there's not that big of an advantage to creating these narrow networks, which are really the source of the problem, not the surprise bills that anyone, hospitals or doctors, deliver to patients. Uh, the surprise bill comes because the insurance company doesn't have that hospital or that doctor on the panel. Uh, there are a few bad apples on both sides, but I do think that's an example where we engaged that early on this past year. We fought it all year, and we fought it off this year. It's going to come back again in the spring. It's going to continue to percolate through each of the states as well. So we, we are, are engaged uh, with these critical issues that uh, will affect our membership. Dr. Gibson, the issue of surprise billing was, as you said, an issue that uh, encompassed a lot of our advocacy efforts in this past year. But I'd like Graham just to kind of wrap this up by sharing with us some of the um, ongoing initiatives that we're working on, some of the problems that are evergreen, that are ongoing issues for our members, and uh, and to share with us um, what our lobbyists and regulatory teams are doing day in and day out. I appreciate that. Thanks for the question, uh, Kristen. There are a number of issues that are uh, out there that we're working on. And again, we, we stand ready for any new issue that might uh, crop up as well. But uh, Dr. Gibson talked about surprise billing. That's still out there. We're working hard on it to make sure that it's fair and that patients aren't unduly punished. Of course, Medicare is always an issue for us. Uh, we keep track of payment issues under Medicare and coverage issues as well. Uh, prior authorization is an issue now that's come up uh, that's been a real burden for a number of our surgeons. So we're we're actively uh, uh, pursuing legislation to uh, help with that issue. And then just the overall notion of regulatory burden. Uh, there have been so many rules coming out that our uh, surgeons try to keep up with, when in fact what they really want to do is have more time with their patient to do what they've been trained to do. So we work a day and night, and I have to say our team is always uh, being proactive. We don't like to be reactive. We like to be proactive. So we're out there gathering information and taking action where uh, the opportunities present themselves. We also work in coalition with a number of other organizations. Uh, not much can get done in D.C. unless you're willing to work with other folks. And we have a number of coalitions that we're a member of. And for those issues that are important to orthopedics, of course, we take the lead and make sure that we're doing everything we can uh, to advance the issue. So there are a number of issues out there. Again, with uh, the Council on Advocacy's guidance, uh, we will certainly make sure we're addressing the right issues that are really important to our members. And Dr. Gibson, with that, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with? Uh, any shameless plug to get them engaged in our efforts here in D.C.? Shameless plugs. Thank you. I, I would say, Kristen, number one is that we, we are protecting our patients, but we're also taking care of our profession, um, which is uh, necessary so that we can take care of our patients. To, if there's no money, there's no mission. And I can only tell you that there's a fixed budget for things like uh, Medicare, where the cost, even though we're saving money, the actual amount spent by Medicare is going up. Uh, I believe uh, just a couple of years ago, it was $840 billion. It peaked over $1.2 trillion two years ago. Uh, and then this past year, my understanding is it's $1.4 trillion that Medicare um, has spent. So we're doing our part to save uh, Medicare money with these uh, joint uh, replacement uh, bundles. 
uh, and other bundles as well, uh, diverse bundles now, uh, and maybe even in the future, condition-based bundles. But we're doing our part. We also, uh, I would just like to plug that for those of us, for instance, that do total joints, um, the codes were revalued. Uh, that came about through a very uh, puzzling process where a commercial insurer went to Medicare and said, we need to revalue these codes, which had just been revalued five to six years earlier. Wasn't time to revalue again. Uh, and then it was, it was required and we did it anyway. So um, I can tell you that day to day, week to week, uh, the fight is on to preserve those reimbursements. And I think right. for most of us in North Carolina Surgeon, that's very important for us to be able to pay our employees and to also take care of our patients. Um, Absolutely. That's one of the things that immediately comes to mind that shamelessly plug. Thank you, Dr. Gibson. We really appreciate you coming on as the chair of Council on Advocacy. You share a great perspective on why this is such an important piece of the AOS. And Graham, thanks also for being on the show, helping our members to better understand what we're doing here in Washington. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you both. And for those members who want to learn more, you can go to www.aaos.org advocacy. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Bone Beat from the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. For more information on this topic and other AAOS efforts to shape the future of musculoskeletal care, please visit aaos.org advocacy.